Hello and welcome to the second episode of In the Word with Mel Bennett, a study of scripture passages from the Word of God. It's great to have you with us. My name is Steve Webb. If this is your first time with us, we're happy that you've joined us. If you were here for the first episode, thanks for coming back. Today, Pastor Bennett will continue his teaching from the Gospel of John. He'll talk about the concept of the Logos to begin with, and then discuss verses 1 through 3 of the first chapter of John. So let's see what Pastor B has to say. Good morning. Welcome to our second podcast. It's good to have you with us today. This morning, I want to pick up where we left off last week. I want to discuss for a few moments the Greek background concerning the word or logos. And when we speak of word, we need to remember that we're not talking about a spoken word as much as we are about an idea or a thought or a concept. So let us go right into this idea of Logos, the Word of God, and see the Greek background that John saw when he wrote. John's problem was not a problem of presenting Christianity to the Jewish world, but a problem of presenting Christianity to the Greek world. About the year 560, there was a philosopher who had an idea that he called the state of flux. His idea was simply that everything in the world was in a state of flux or everything was changing from day to day and moment to moment. He used a very simple illustration to express this idea. It was the idea of a river. He said if you stepped into a river and then stepped out and then stepped in again, you were entering a completely different river. The idea was that the river was moving and therefore you were constantly moving into a different river. The philosopher believed that everything was in constant change. Now the question that then came up from this idea was what kept everything from turning into chaos? The philosopher said, all of this chance and flux is not haphazard. It was controlled and ordered. It is controlled by the Logos, the Word, the reason of God. He held not only is there a pattern in the physical world, there was also a pattern in the world of events. He said what kept everything in order was the Logos. What is, what is it that makes us know the difference between right and wrong, that makes us able to think and reason, that makes us choose right and recognize the truth? His answer the Logos, the Word, the reason of God. The Greek discovered that they could go a bit, little bit further, and they couldn't let go, let it go at that. This thinking so fascinated the Greeks that they called their next idea the Stoic. The Stoics were always left in wondering and amazement at the order of this world. They said that the order demands a mind. They asked the question, what keeps the stars in their order? What causes the tides to ebb and flow? What makes day and night come in its order? And what makes the seasons come around at their appointed time? The Stoics answered, all things are controlled by the Logos, the Word, the reason of God. So the Stoics said that God pervaded, or the Logos pervaded all things and kept order and made sense of it all. 
Out of all of this came another thought or idea, the thought of Philo. He, made, he had made it his business to study the wisdom of the two worlds, the Jewish and the Greek world. He came up with the idea that the Logos, the Word, the reason of God, was the instrument through which God had made the world. He said each mind is stamped with the Logos. Furthermore, our reason, our power to think, and the power to know was the word, the Logos. The word is the intermediary between the world and God, between the begotten and the unbegotten. That is, Logos is the priest which sets the soul before God. And so far as the Greek was concerned, they knew all about God. Both Jew and Greek knew what the Logos was, and for centuries had been thinking and writing and dreaming about the Logos, the Word of God. John went to the Jews and Greeks to tell them that in Jesus Christ, the creative, life-giving, illuminating, controlling, and sustaining mind of God had come to earth. He came to tell them that men need no longer look and grope for answers. All that they had to do was to look at Jesus and see the mind of God. Now go with me to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and listen as we read. This is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. It is John's great thought that Jesus is none other than God's creative, life-giving, and light-giving Word of God, that Jesus is the power of God which created the world, and the reason of God which sustains the world, comes into the world, came to the earth in a human form. At the very beginning, John says three things about the Word. That is, he says three things about Jesus. First of all, he tells us, the Word was already there at the very beginning of things. John is going back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. What John is saying is this, The Word is not one of the created things. The Word was there before creation. The Word is not part of the world which came into being in time. The Word is part of eternity and was there with God before time and was there before the world began. John was thinking of what is known as the pre-existence of Christ. If the Word was with God before the time began, if God's Word is part of the eternal scheme of things, it means that God has always and always was like Jesus. Sometimes we tend to think of God as just and holy, stern and avenging, we tend to think there that something that Jesus did changed God's anger into love and altered God's attitude toward men. However, the fact of the matter is, what Jesus did was to open a window in time that we might see the eternal and unchanging love of God. But, you may ask, if you say that, what about some of the things that we read in the Old Testament? God wouldn't wipe out whole cities and destroy men, women, and children. But my friend, it is not God who has changed. It is men's knowledge of God that has changed. They did not know any better. All they knew of God was what they saw then. They could only grasp and understand little parts of God. 
It was only when Jesus came that men saw fully and completely what God has always been like. God always was kind and loving and good. Number two, John says that the Word was with God. What he means is that always there had been the closest and most intimate connection between Jesus and God the Father. That means that there is none, no one, who can tell us what God is like, what God wills for us, and what God's love and heart and mind are as Jesus can. If you wanted to know somebody, the fact of the matter is, you would not find somebody who was a mere acquaintance of that person. You would look for someone who was very close and had an intimate relationship with the person you wanted to know. Then you would begin to know what that person was really like. John is saying that Jesus is so intimate with God that God has no secrets that are withheld from him and that therefore Jesus is the one person in all the universe who can reveal to us what God is really like and how God feels toward us. The third thing that John says is the word was God. The times in which John wrote, people had a different way of saying things. When the Greek used a word as a noun, he always, most, almost always, uses a definite article with it. The Greek word for God is theos, and the definite article is ho. When the Greek speaks about God, he, simply, he not simply says theos, he says ho theos. Now, when the Greek language does not use the definite article with a noun, that noun becomes more like an adjective. It describes the character, the quality of the person. John did not say that the word was hotheos. That would have been to say that the word was identified with God. John says the word was theos, which means the word was of the very character, quality, essence, and being of God. When John said the word was, was God, he was not saying that Jesus is identified with God. He was saying that Jesus is so perfectly the same as God in mind, in heart, and in being, that in Jesus we see perfectly what God is like. John 1.3 says this, listen closely, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made that was made. In John's time, there was a kind of heresy called Gnosticism. The characteristic of the Gnosticism was that it was an intellectual and philosophical approach to Christianity. To the Gnostic, the simple belief of the ordinary Christians was not enough. The Gnostic tried to conduct a philosophic system about out of Christianity. The Gnostic was troubled about the existence of sin, evil, sorrow, and suffering in the world. So they worked out a theory and a philosophy to explain it. The theory was this. In the beginning, two things existed. The one was God, and the other was matter. The Gnostic held that matter was always there. Matter was the raw material out of which the world was made, formed, and molded. This original matter was flawed and imperfect. To put it in our language, the world got off to a bad start. It was made of material, which had the seeds and germs of evil in it. The Gnostic went further than that, though. God, they said, was a pure spirit, and was so pure that he can never touch matter at all, matter which is essentially flawed, 
and imperfect. Therefore, it was not possible for God to carry out the work of creation himself. So, according to the Gnostic, what God did was this. God put out from himself a series of emanations. Each emanation was farther and farther away from himself. As the emanation got farther and farther away from God, they knew less and less about God. About halfway down the series of emanations, the Gnostic thought, there was an emanation which knew nothing at all about God and which was quite ignorant of Him. Beyond that stage, the emanation began to be not only ignorant of, but actually hostile to God. Finally, in the series, the emanation was the power which created the world. To the Gnostic, a certain God, creation God, was utterly divided from and utterly at enmity with the real God. The Gnostic then identified the Creator God with the God of the Old Testament. And then they held that the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament were quite two different gods. The New Testament was the God of love, the Father of Jesus Christ. In the time of John, this kind of belief was widespread. Men believed that the world was evil and that an evil God had created it. It was to combat this teaching that John laid down the basic Christian facts. In point of fact, the connection of Jesus with creation is repeated in the New Testament many times. Paul says in Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and the earth. All things were created by him and for him. In 1 Corinthians 8.6 he wrote of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. The writer to the Hebrews speaks of the one who was the Son of God and says, by whom also God made the world. John and the writers and the other New Testament writers who spoke like this were stressing two great truths. Number one, Christianity has always believed in what is called creation out of nothing. We do not believe that in his creation of the world, God had to work with alien and evil matter. We do not believe that the world began with an essential flaw in it. We do not believe the world began with God and something else. It is our belief that behind everything there is God and God alone. Christianity, number two, has always believed that this is God's world. We need to accept the fact that God is concerned about this world because it is His world. We need to be careful that we don't mess up God's world. God is a good God, and He created this world, not He and some other force. Satan stepped in and messed everything up. Jesus, the Son of God, came to redeem lost mankind and bring back into alignment God's eternal plan. It cost the Son of God a heavy price that we might be redeemed he willingly paid that price, the price of death, that we might be saved and have eternal life. Jesus died on the cross for mankind. One final thought before we go to verse number four, and that is how quickly Satan began his attack against this new church of Jesus Christ. He did not bring opposition from an outside so much as from the inside. He attempted to deceive the church by false doctrine. He has never changed his tactics. He still tries to bring false teaching into the church so that it loses the main message. That is, 
Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank God for men like John, who taught and proclaimed the truth. God grant us the courage and wisdom to do the same. The question that each of us must ask ourselves is, do we have his life? Have we received Jesus as our personal Savior? Have we trusted in his word? And have we put our faith and our trust completely in him? If we have, then we know that Jesus is our truly our Savior. I trust that you will do that today. As we close this podcast, why not take Jesus into your heart right now? Ask him to come into your life today and make you a child of God. He is more than happy to do so. May God bless you and may you receive Christ as your Savior today. I hope you do know Jesus as your Savior. If not, it's not too late to invite him into your life. You can write to Pastor Bennett if you've got a question at pastorb at lifespringmedia.com. Next week, he'll cover John 1, verses 4 and 5, and we'll talk about the themes of John, life and light. I invite you to visit lifespringmedia.com and take a look at the content we have available for you. There are over 2,000 podcast episodes, including the first episode of a brand new show called How to Pronounce Bible Names. If you have a hard time pronouncing some of the long names in the Bible, check it out. That's How to Pronounce Bible Names at our website, lifespringmedia.com, and that's hosted by yours truly. And now, until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. I'm Steve Webb. Bye.